Hello and a very warm welcome to Hamster with a Blunt Penknife. I'm Mark. And I'm Joe. Hi Joe, how are you doing? I'm really well, thank you. I'm about to start talking about Doctor Who with a wonderful man. How could I be anything but glorious right now? Thank you very much. I feel exactly the same. Um, first of all, just need to thank you for your recent contribution to my podcast, Trap One, which you recorded with Pete Lambert when you did a location report from Utopia. It's a great episode, so your listeners should definitely check it out if they haven't already. But uh, yeah, thank you very much for recording that. I just got loads of messages from people going, you are a bad man. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about Caroline Ford getting all moist and uh, oh, do you know, he did censor a couple of bits out. Did he tell you? He did, yeah. Yeah, I, I talked about <laughs> Colin Baker's nuts at one point and something like that. And then he's like, no, this is, go you know, we can't have this in. This is, a I, mean, I, I don't know where Trap One falls in terms of explicit content. It's, it varies episode by episode. So, uh, yeah, I'll put the, uh, the explicit tag on if it, if it requires it. Does it depend upon the guest? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> did did my big finish one get an explicit content? Do you know, I can't remember. Um, it probably did. Yeah, <laughs> that was amazing. That episode, I enjoyed that so much. Um, before we start talking about the episode we're going to talk about, um, I've got a question for you. Um, yeah. It's about the Peter Capaldi era. It's about season eight in particular because um, the episode that we're going to listen to watch is from that. You said something to me earlier in a message. You said there wasn't a weak episode in Series 8. No, I stand by that. I think it's a really, really strong series. I love it. Um, we reviewed it on the Trap One podcast recently when the Steelbook came out, and I knew I loved it, but watching it again, it, yeah, found loads of new stuff to love in it. It's, it's, it's fantastic. I've only got one title to throw at you, and that's in the forest. In the forest of the night. Do you know what? In the forest of the night, I probably felt the same. And when I went back to it, do you know what the thing is? If you watch it now, post-pandemic, it's got so much resonance mm. of the world changing overnight, people being trapped in their homes, the kind of empty streets, uh, and all that type of stuff. Um, yeah, a few months ago, when I watched it again, it, it really, in, you know, in the wake of lockdown and the pandemic really hit me differently the only thing i can remember from that episode is the is that twee ending where she's like annabelle the thought of you brought you <laughs> back to me and she got she kind of appears out of fairy dust or something doesn't she like i, I can't remember what's going on but it's very disney yeah that that bit isn't great but uh, <laughs> yeah i think the rest of the episode uh, the rest of the episode hangs together pretty well do you know because i think you're quite a strong fan of the Stephen moffat era aren't you as a whole oh yeah definitely um series eight i think is one of the very few seasons he put out that gathers momentum in the second half um because it, it it kind of hits its stride you get kill the moon you get flatline you get mummy on the orient express dark water like it, it's a strong run in that second half yeah um but we're not going into the second half of the season are we we're going to go right back to the beginning where it all started. Right back to the beginning. Um, and before we go into deep breath, which is what we're talking about, how did you watch this? Did you watch this in the cinema when it came out? No, I didn't. I don't know if it was one that, that our local cinema got. Uh, I don't think it was, otherwise I probably would have done. 
although I'd have been sitting on my own because I probably um, probably didn't know any fans to, uh, to to go with at the time. But yeah, I probably would have gone along if it had been. So no, I was just uh, watching it on my TV at home. I'm really curious to watch this because I watched the entirety of Series 7 recently for another podcast that I'm doing. To say I found that series problematic would be a dramatic understatement. Um, and it was a lot of sort of hyperbole, a lot of tricks and not a lot of substance and not a lot of character. And I think in this season, there's a deliberate attempt to redress that and to give it more character focus, to bring it down a little bit, to make it less about these huge, crazy arcs and more about the people involved in the stories. Am I way off base? Because I, I really feel like like he was trying something different with Series Eight. No, yeah, I completely agree with that. I think, I think it's good. I think it seems to come from Stephen Moffat and Pete Capaldi. Um, yeah. you, when you read some of the behind the scenes, they seem very collaborative together. I think from Stephen Moffat, he talks about having sort of longer scenes, uh, which which is something that you definitely get in this episode. So there's less cutting around and dashing about. And, that gives it a bit more gravitas. Mm. And Peter Capaldi's whole aesthetic of, you know, when he, before the series went out and he's talking about his costume and he's saying it's not bow ties and scarves, he wants something really stripped back and a little bit stark, like the first first, mm -hmm. the first two Doctors. Um, and a little bit like maybe season seven, John Pertwee as well. So it is more sort of black and stark. Um, you know, not just you know, the kind of, uh, kind of, yeah, crazy costumes and, uh, and that type of thing. So, yeah, yeah. I think, I think together they, they, they brought it, like you say, a bit more stripped back, back to, uh, not so much about the catchphrases and, yeah, cause all, all the stuff, you know, the bow ties and stuff like that is, it's not that it's bad. It's just that like the internet just runs with it. And then it's everywhere you look, isn't it? That there's just kind of memes and it's just constantly kind of running to the <laughs> ground there. I, I just found in the tail end of like series 7B, um, they were all stories with like, uh, they were doing that movie of the week thing, weren't they? Um, with the posters. And it really felt like that. Like not a lot of substance, a big idea, journey to the center of the TARDIS or, um, God, what else did you have? The Crimson Horror. And, but there wasn't a lot of substance to the stories. And because Clara was deliberately supposed to be a mystery, there wasn't a great deal of character there. Like I think in this episode we're about to watch, he rewrites her character head to toe and and gives her like a background and he gives her long scenes to play and he gives Jenna Coleman a chance to like really act in this. Whereas in that second half, I don't know, it, it, it didn't work for me at all, I don't think. And this did. Oh, it's also darker as well. This series eight is really dark. Mm compared to what's been and i yeah i mean i really liked series seven but we don't want to get into that, <laughs> that conversation moment I, I do really like it i don't massively buy into the the idea that you hear a lot that you know she's she's only a mystery in series seven and she has no character I, I, I think she does think she has some really really great moments in that but yeah i do think there's a bit of a reset of the character here um and i think probably you know to just to work with a different doctor uh, so yeah, I think I think that definitely. Like when you think of Clara, when you think of Clara, do you think of Clara with the twelfth Doctor, or do you think of Clara with the eleventh? 
the twelfth Doctor. Absolutely. Sure. Like, like yeah. You know, I mean, and and fair enough because half a season against two whole seasons, you know. <laughs> but uh, it's like I don't know, like Bonnie Langford. You think of her with probably. I mean, I think of her with McCoy rather mm, than Colin same. Baker. And Perry, I think of with Colin Baker rather than you know, but just because they had you know a bit more time together. Well, okay, I'm going way off base. Um, shall we skip into deep breath? I believe, Absolutely. I believe it opens with a, a very dramatic, a very arresting image. Uh, I'll make sure my sound is down a little bit. Okie doke. You, ah, actually, no, you intro this. You, you count us in. Okay, okay. So we'll press play in three, two, one. Off we go. It's great. I love the little camera shake as the as the T Rex walks across the screen. There, it's a, it's a really nice touch. And then you might think you're in sort of Jurassic times, but then you hear Big Ben. And is there a more majestic image than the T-Rex walking down the Thames since the Scarrison made its way down the Thames <laughs> in the Zygon? I was just going to say, it's such a shame that the effects aren't quite as good as Invasion of the Dinosaurs, you know. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't know whether it's, it feels like a little homage to that, the fact that they're sort of by the river and there's um, the scene just there where you can sort of see the head and the neck going past. Um, I don't know how familiar Ben Wheatley <laughs> maybe is with Terry Zygon. Well, okay, he, you just dropped Ben Wheatley's name there. I mean, what a director to get. Absolutely, yeah. I think, I think he did say at the time he's a fan from the 70s, like Tom Baker's his era. But then his son was a massive Doctor Who fan at this stage as well. And he wanted to make something that he could watch with his son, uh, which you can't really say of most of his movies. So, um, and, yeah. So and yet, what's strange is he's handed this very sort of character focused, and it's for the new series, this is quite a slow episode, I think. Yeah, I suppose the yeah, the dinosaur is, is a sort of nod to having a monster, and yeah, it's not something which is there. And then, yeah, the T Rex popping up the TARDIS is a Hilarious. brilliant. Although um, I'm, I'm still perfectly convinced the best Dalek action ever filmed is Ben Wheatley's working into the Dalek. My God, yes. it's, it's stunningly good. It looks so beautiful, doesn't it? Yeah. And and you know what? What always annoyed me about the Daleks, I know that's not the story we're talking mm. about, is the way they shoot once and then stop and then yell exterminate and then shoot again. <laughs> whereas he gives them a really rapid rate of fire, which yeah. makes them look intimidating and and there's like one a really big threat where they walk where they're going along and one just completely blows up and but like all this fluid comes flying out as well it's 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 movie standard and you know it's ben wheatley so of course it is yeah okay i need to ask you a question about the paternoster gang mm -hmm. not my favorite characters in the world okay um and I, I'm going to try and explain why, and then you tell me why they're great, okay? Yeah. Um, I feel Strax is a little, like, the, the humour around Strax is just too obvious and too one-note. That, 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 do you remember the Tom Tom gag in Crimson Aura? Yeah. Oh, um, <laughs> and with Vastra and Jenny, who I think are both really good actresses and they have great chemistry, but I'm gay and i don't go around telling everybody i'm gay every two minutes and they do that a lot yeah i i do think it would be a little bit more progressive if 
they just didn't mention it and it was just there. Um, I do agree with that. They they do feel the need to um, to say it a lot. But I suppose it's that you know, they want to shock Victorian society who are very prim and proper and, uh, you know, they don't necessarily want to just comply with those rules and, 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 and strictures, maybe. So now tell me why they're fantastic. Well, I, I, I love Strax. I, I love the humour of Strax. I mean, the Tom Tom joke isn't his joke. Oh, no. um, oh so awful. Honestly. <laughs> it's, 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 the, it's just there in the writing, and the kid is called Thomas Thomas. But yeah, the, yeah I, just the fact that you know, he's a Santaron, and every, his solution to every single problem is, as a, as a Santaron would be, is weapons and military tactics. Uh, yeah, really, yeah. Like, well, I you know, right? I, I'm going to completely contradict myself because I think one of the funniest scenes ever occurs in this, and that's when he throws the paper at Clara. I think yeah. that's so funny. <laughs> and the humour there is, he's so strong, but he, and she he yeah. literally knocks her out. Like, <laughs> And her, she plays that, like, the comedy of that really well. Like, her yeah. face when she gets struck and everything, it's, um, it's, it's, yeah, it's perfect, isn't it? Like, I know we said about Clara in Series 7, I think she seizes the opportunity she gets in this episode. Yeah, the, we'll see, the scene we'll see later on where she's being interrogated by the, the clockwork man yeah. is, yeah, I think it's, it's phenomenal, just phenomenal. The, the scene in the restaurant between her and Capaldi as well, which is like, yeah. what, 10 minutes long? It's a long scene. Yeah. For the new, for the new you see, the, the chemistry between them there is, is brilliant. The, uh, all the interplay and the banter is, uh, is brilliant. Now, um, yeah. within Series 8, okay, like you talk about the chemistry and I think it's it sizzles. In, especially in this season, like um, that bit at the end of Kill the Moon, where she basically says, fuck off, I'm off. Yeah. You put me in a terrible situation. <laughs> it's just Danny Pink I have the issue with. They, you throw him in and, oh, God damn it. And I know you're going to tell me you like Danny Pink as well, aren't you? Yeah, I don't, I don't <laughs> dislike him. I don't, but I'm not really somebody that dislikes any element of Doctor Who to the extent that some people do online. Um, I, I yeah, basically love it all. There's some bits I love more than other bits, but there's nothing that really pisses me off or makes me angry. Um, well, yeah, I, I think, I think you're Pink's a better man than me. Danny Pick's got a great arc within within this series. I'm pleased they didn't drag it on. It's really nicely finished off in Last Christmas, and then it's you know she she moves on from it and it changes her as a character. <laughs> I think if it, if it kept being revisited, it would have it would have got a bit more tiresome. I just always felt like he was introduced to be killed off in this season. Like I felt I felt like that was the entire purpose of that character was for her to get close to him, for him to die. And yeah. Anyway, I've I've spoken about that elsewhere. <laughs> I can't believe that Peter Capaldi has entered this story, and we haven't mentioned that at all yet. I know. Could you could you believe? that Peter Capaldi was cast, when all the rumours were swirling round in 2013, I thought, that is too good to be true. There's no way can we get Peter Capaldi. I had two thoughts. When, when you know, they did that dreadful show where he had to walk out in disco lights. And yeah. he was clearly very uncomfortable doing it. You know? I had two thoughts. One was, I cannot believe they are pushing away from the young, sexy act. Like, like they're being brave enough to do that. And number two was, 
this is the best actor who's ever played the Doctor. My God. Yeah. Well, and if you remember at the time, the rumours that were going around about who's going to play him, there was like Julian Rhine's Tut, who I would have been very excited about again. People said that he um, auditioned for the 11th Doctor but missed out. Not sure whether that's true or not. Uh, Russell Torvey, apparently, he said he did audition and missed out to Matt Smith for the 11th Doctor. And rumours were swirling around for the 12th Doctor for him. But at that, by that time, he was saying he didn't really want that level of fame and recognition and, and all that type of stuff. Obviously, um, each time Chris Marshall was in the running, but never quite made it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. His name always pops up. And then Starburst put this story out where they said it was down to Domhnall Gleeson. Uh, and this is before he was all that big, I think. Like, he hadn't been Star Wars and all that. He'd probably been in Harry Potter by that point. If you can uh, see confusion Dan- on my face, it's because I actually don't know who that is. Uh, so, Donald Gleeson, you've seen the most recent Star Wars films. Yeah. He's, uh, I forgot, forgot the character's name. He's the, the Imperial officer who, <sighs> who ends up... Um, oh, Finn. He's got... Finn? No, no. The one, um, the ginger guy, who's he's got all the rivalry with, with Kylo Ren. And then in the end, he turns traitor to the to the whatever the Empire are now called. Oh, okay. Was that was that in the last one? Because I don't remember anything about that. Yeah, that was in the last one. Um, so yeah, the name might come to me during the chronicles because because I, I do know it. So he's Brendan Gleeson's son. You know, Brendan Gleeson. Obviously, uh-huh. he's like uh, he's in loads of stuff. And so it's between him and who? Uh, Dominic Cooper. Ooh, that would have been interesting. That would have uh, that would have carried on the, uh, the, the young, young handsome yeah, yeah, doctor yeah. or uh, Daniel Kaluuya, who uh, it was obviously now Oscar-winning mm-hmm. Daniel Kaluuya, who's uh, who's gone into a massive career in Hollywood. So uh, uh, yeah, but I mean, obviously it wasn't any of them, but they reckon it's down to those three. But then I think Peter, as happened with Jodie Whittaker, Peter Capaldi became the bookie's favourite. A lot of bookies stopped taking bets, didn't they? Like the day of the announcement. Um, but yeah, I was. Um, I think I've since I was, read. Have you not read? Uh, there was an interview that Stephen Moffat did with oh, I can't remember the guy. I was like Crystal D, and it's that's online. He wanted Peter Capaldi, like he absolutely yeah. wanted him. You know, from the office. well, he was working with Mark Gatiss, and he said, he said to Mark Gatiss, "You put a list together, and I'll put a list together." And Mark Gatiss's list had Peter Capaldi at the top, and then a load of space, and then right at the bottom of the document, like a list of some other names. Um, so yeah, they uh, they. they <laughs> Yeah, they really wanted him, and and, and quite rightly as well, because um, you know he's got a, a massive profile. He's a fantastic actor. But uh, the talking about that announcement program, I was at a wedding that night, and I was really worried I was going to miss it, and I was only going to see the news on Twitter afterwards. Mm-hmm. And my wife was a bridesmaid at the wedding, so it wasn't just like we were just kind of guests that could easily, easily sort of uh, you know escape or anything. Uh, and we're staying at a different hotel to where the night do was being held. But it turns out the the bride's brother, who's one of the ushers as well, he was a, he was a Doctor Who fan because he kind of got talking to him during the day. So he's like, right, I've got a room here. We'll sneak off. Hopefully be back and not miss cutting of the cake or <laughs> the, uh, the first dance. Screw it. Who cares? Like... <laughs> so we went up and then uh, obviously not realising as well that the answer would be at the very end of the episode. We'd have to sit through all these sort of celebrity interviews oh, and uh, and all the rest of it. Um, but yeah, I was, I was cock a hoop with that. Fantastic result. So you, you, you know, really enjoyed that night in the end. Yeah, if you weren't enjoying it before, yeah. oh, I hope no one from that <laughs> wedding, hope no one from that wedding is listening to this. Um, it was a fantastic yeah. wedding, and you really enjoyed the whole thing, oh, didn't you? 
Yeah. It was, it was lovely. Yeah. No, yeah. I came back. I was like, life and soul after that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mark was really on form that night. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. 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 He's a charismatic guy. Like, more nervous than the, uh, you know, than the, the groom making a speech before that. It's like, yeah. gonna really, who's gonna really? <laughs> uh, oh, I'm going to say something potentially controversial, though. And I don't want you to hang up on me. All right. <laughs> Sometimes I think Peter Capaldi didn't get the material he deserved in this era. I think he was challenged at times. But I don't think that's always the case. Um, I think they could have got more out of him than they did. And they got plenty out of him. Um, he, he, I absolutely think he's the best actor to have ever played the Doctor. Um, and like his his highest moments, like there's a moment at the end of this where he's with the clockwork man in the balloon. Yes. It's just stunning. The the bit in um the Zygon inversion where he gives that massive speech, heaven mm-hmm. sent, um, moments in the Doctor's Falls. Like there are times where he's really chan there are other times, I'm talking about things like Robot of Sherwood, Sleep No More. Where like he doesn't, he's not slumming it, but he's a bit above what's playing out. I think. Am I wrong? I think. I think you say that about any doctor. Not that the you can't say that they're all the best actor to. Sylvester uh, McCoy. To, um, but <laughs> I love Sylvester McCoy. I know you do. I know. Um, he's amazing. Um, yeah, I think. I think you say about any doctor. I think they don't always get brilliant material but they you know i mean this you know it's on baker but it's it's the, the actor always lifts those stories you know you watch like um what are you talking about underworld yeah but and tom baker <laughs> makes that watchable yeah. the android invasion tom baker makes it watchable like with capaldi i think every doctor brings value that the added value capaldi brings is on another level yeah Oh yeah, completely. He's all, he's always doing something, and yeah, he and, and like the best doctors, he he plays the material in unexpected ways as well, doesn't he? But uh, it's interesting because I think his character definitely goes on a journey from deep breath to Jennings in, and I don't just mean the Buffon hair, which gets wild. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, you say he's very Pertwee. By the end, he's literally season eleven Pertwee, isn't he, with that crazy hair? Yeah, <laughs> and his outrageous clothes. Yeah. He's got the biggest arc of any any doctor at all. I think it's it's kind of what Colin Baker wanted to do, isn't it? Yeah. But he he actually gets to do it. But a um, lot of people will say that he doesn't work in eight because he's just a bit too dark and a bit too nasty at times. But come ten, he's really likable and really like like the doctor that people kind of want to see. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to be controversial again. I like him here. Yeah, I do. And it's much more like the first three or four Doctors. He's I think a bit dangerous, he's really, isn't he? He's a bit edgy. Yeah, really harking back to those early Doctors where, you know, I, the, the bit in, um, in Into the Dalek where, you know, he says about the uh, the person that's died. Oh, my God. They're the top layer, if you want to say a few words. It really reminds me of Pyramids of Mars where, the you know, the Doctor says... Yeah. Uh, Everybody says, and then Sarah Jane says, oh, you know, sometimes you don't even see him. And he goes, human. Uh, and it really reminds me of that scene. And, and that's 
you know, that's Peter Capaldi's childhood and it's what his memory of the Doctor is and that's that's what he's bringing through. Stephen Moffat says that they, because a lot of people say he's very kind of Colin Baker in this season, that very acidic, very a bit rude and snarky. But what Moffat said in an interview was he was going for season um, season 12 Tom Baker, which is very, mm. very alien and occasionally a moody, um, but still like a hero. Do you know what I think like is the most um, like darkly funny moment? One of the best in Doctor Who is when Clara says in Dark Water, Danny Pink is dead. And he just goes, and? you know like to him people die you know like it's yeah yeah it's so funny it's great because he i think it it comes across a little bit in here but the doctor's perspective here is that he's been on trends law for two thousand years as well like constantly fighting and defending that community so and it also explains why his memory is not that good as well because he he doesn't remember the Paternoster gang at first. He calls Clara Handles, doesn't he? Like he's he's been on trends a lot. He's seen people. He's been there for was it two thousand years? So he's he's watched people be born, live their entire lives, and die for like generations and generations. So he's no he no kind of knows those people more than he knows you know Clara or uh, or any of these people uh, any of the past Paternoster gang. Also, um, what you said about him playing it dark there as well, I think it was interesting, uh, Edward Russell, you know, who's the brand manager, he was saying on Twitter about how a lot of that was actually Peter Capaldi's choice. You know, it's there in the script, but he really took it and, and, and ran with it, and, uh, you know, for the, the kind of the edgy and nastier performance, uh, you know, really ratcheted that up a bit. I can understand, like, uh, our mutual friend, uh, Simon Hart, he loathes this season, well, kind of this era, and he really dislikes Capaldi's Doctor because he wants him to be incredibly heroic and and fun and witty and silly. And he's not doing that here. He's a bit dangerous. He's a bit edgy. Um, he's a bit, he's very unlikable at times. But I think after David Tennant and after Matt Smith, to, we needed something different. Definitely, yeah, and he's he's never not watchable as well. It's not like I'm not watching and thinking, "Oh God, he's awful." I don't like him. He's you can't take your eyes off him, even when he's trying to take the the coat off the tramp, which we'll see in a little while. You know, that seems really good though. That scene, yeah. And we revisit that scene, don't we? In is it the girl who died? Doesn't he think Mm. back to that scene where he's looking in the water and why have I got this face? Yeah, I think who found me that face? Yeah. It's a really lovely piece of dialogue, isn't it? Yeah. Really, Whereas really great. all of this, okay. Oh, see, this is this is something I have a bit of difficulty with. Is all of this kind of post-regeneration madness? Because I, this has been done before, and I think mm. it's probably been done a bit better than this. Like this is Capaldi screaming his head off at a dinosaur, saying not very witty things. <laughs> I think the, the post-regeneration, though, it, it allows you to see the full range of a Doctor quite quickly, doesn't it, in the course of an episode? Mm. You know, the switch from being a bit mad and everything, being angry and furious to being confused. It, you, you get, I think you get a, 
like a montage almost of, of the full range of what that doctor is going to be by having them very unstable and, and all over the place. And he doesn't try and strangle Clara, which is a, <laughs> that's a definite bonus. That's just, yeah, yeah. Um, him on the horse there, I remember, sorry, I keep coming back to Moffat interviews, but, you know, like special guest star Stephen Moffat in this one. Um, yeah. He said that, like, there was a lot of criticism, oh, you're going for an old man, and suddenly the show's going to have no pace to it anymore, blah, blah. And he said, you know, within 20 minutes, I'll have the Doctor being dynamic. And he's on a horse, and he's being sort of dashing, and he's in that lovely frilly shirt like the, the show is not slowing down here you know because it's an older man playing the doctor no there's a lovely interview where Sylvie said to Peter Capaldi don't do you think you're too old to play the doctor uh and he said no I'm I'm uh, 1950 <laughs> years too young to play the doctor <laughs> and do you know because, what uh, can I say like because a lot of actors are fine ambassadors for the show yeah i think jodie whittaker's done a phenomenal job while she's been the doctor capaldi was on another level when he was playing the doctor like i mean he went around the world didn't he like visiting all those places advertising the show like this was his life for about five years yeah and and if you've even met him but i went to convention and got his autographs and he's just so amazing with every single person that he meets um, just, yeah, put, it kind of puts you at your ease, he starts to have a conversation. There's an interview recently with him where he said um, he finds that exhausting, he said that kind of thing of making I it okay that. for people to meet him, yeah. and that's what made me feel guilty, because um, the day that I saw him, it was it was up in uh, Edinburgh, uh, it was when, you know that clip of him where he, um, he took somebody's guitar and he was singing and playing Starman, it was that convention, and he was there like well after the thing was supposed to finish just so he could see everybody and you think god yeah that must have been well, like just exhausting for him because he wasn't just signing you know he was giving everybody like a bit of conversation and a bit of... well when you think about it um like he's what recording this takes nine months of the year or something like that plus all the additional work they do the adr and all of that and on top of that he's traveling the world and, and then on top of that, he's probably doing conventions and things like that and panels. And like, I could see why that would be a job and a half, you know, for whatever. I mean, I'm sure they were paying him handsomely for this role. I couldn't do it. And I couldn't have that much, um, like, attention on me. Because, mm-hmm. like, Doctor Who is scrutinized in such an insane, you know, in, in, an intimate way. And no matter who is playing this part now, I'm perfectly convinced that half of fandom will love them and half of fandom will hate them and there'll be relatively little in the middle, you know? Yeah, if you I mean if you're in it, you can't you can't engage with all that. Just absolutely drive you mad, wouldn't it? Like I, I don't think like a serving doctor could be on Twitter um or anything like that. You just you just want to be well away from it, definitely. Well, I've got a surprise for you, Mark. I just happened to have flown in Jodie Whittaker here to join us. For the... No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, but I, I admire his honesty in that interview. Oh, God, here we go. Mm-hmm. Here's the bit with the paper. <laughs> Don't you always love it when the TARDIS is on a car or something like that? You yeah. Know, like, on, on a skew. Yeah. Like, That's I'm, great. We're just waiting for this bit now, aren't we? <laughs> I don't want to say that like um, Dan Starkey isn't charming as Strax, because he is. 
but uh, also as well, I I feel like the Sontarans have been done a little bit of a disservice. I they're not really a credible foe anymore. No, but oh. <laughs> <laughs> straight in her face. Oh, does she look gorgeous? Yeah, whenever she wears um, sort of period dress, I think generally companions, you know, like Ace in um, in uh, Ghostlight, Ghost yeah. Tegan in Enlightenment, Ace and... in Curse of Fenric as well. When she has, the... yeah, yeah, they just they look stunning, don't they? When uh, when they get to uh, put the period clothes on, it's always like BBC as well. They've always got like the the best quality stuff. Nissa in Black Orchid as well, when she's got like that peacock costume on. Mm. But, uh, what about um, Jenna Coleman in Robot Sherwood in that red dress? Oh, I'll tell you yeah. what, that even made my heart flutter a little bit. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but look, think of, like again, where are we at? We're at twenty-four minutes in, and we we haven't been introduced to the central threat yet. Or if we have, it's been a throwaway scene so far. This is entirely focused on the Doctor and Clara, the Doctor's regeneration, and how she feels about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's very much a point of view character here, even more so, I think, than the companions in the in the modern series generally are. Um, because, yeah, it's a little bit, it's her reaction to it, isn't it, about the Doctor suddenly being older, and she's kind of worried about him, but, you know, about whether something's gone wrong. <laughs> I mean, you know, I think, I think it's, it's, it's fairly explicit that she either fancied or had feelings for Matt Smith's doctor. Like that was mm -hmm. that was leaned into a little bit. And now suddenly that very cute, very funny doctor is this crabby old man. You know, like that's got to mess up your head, right? Yeah. And I think for the audience as well, she's she, she's playing that part for the audience of, you know, kind of is this okay you know because i know some of the criticism at the time was well she she already knows all about regeneration because she's been through his timeline and she's met david tennant's doctor mm -hmm. in there the doctor but it's it's like being a fan like knowing about it but then yeah. actually losing your doctor and somebody else coming in you know can still be a little bit so sort of traumatic then can it well i'm gonna like say like say you say you know your um your beautiful wife tomorrow morning regenerated into somebody <laughs> 30 years older and with a completely different personality i mean i think that would be um perturbing no <laughs> but i do i do really like the fact that this has slowed down to focus on the characters because my in for doctor who it's not spectacle and I think the new series leans into spectacle too much. Um, mm. And I, I understand why it does. TV is very uh, cinematic now. Um, but this is kind of like my Doctor Who, where it's about people reacting to things. Yeah. And I love this scene now that we've got the Doctor in his nightdress with the, uh, with the tramp in the alleyway. This is great. And this is... Oh, it's Elizabeth Sladen's yeah. uh, husband. Brian Miller, yeah. Who, uh, when was the last time he was in Doctor Who? Snake Dance. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm, so glad, I'm so glad it's you here and not Jack. He wouldn't be able to tell me that. 
uh, he uh, used to do Dalek voices as well, didn't he? All right. He was in a Sarah Jane adventure, wasn't he? Um, he was in uh, series three one that was set in the theme park. He was the 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 old guy that ran the theme park. Ah, right. I, I had an idea that I don't know about sixties or seventies that he'd done Dalek voices, but I may be confusing it with somebody else. No, I think you're right. I think you. I think you're right about that. And and you know, if you listen to um, Elizabeth Sladen's autobiography, uh, which just listen to that it is really really good. Um, he was he was always in work. This guy, like he was always in the theatre. Yeah, he's he's actually even in this little scene you can you can see how much character he's bringing even to a small part like this, isn't it? Do, do you think this was a we just lost Elizabeth Sladen pre this? So yeah, do, do you wonder if this was like a not like a like a you know come and be in Doctor Who because you've lost your yeah not that but like you know like be a part of the show that. Yeah, yeah, it's a nice tribute, isn't it? See, look now, Capaldi's is all being toned down now, and uh, he's just electric. And it's interesting because yeah. they they make they dress him up as this, you know, he looks a bit trampish and awful. And by the end of the story, he's so fucking suave. Like, yeah, I don't care that he's sixty five. I'd still have him, honestly. <laughs> oh, sorry, Mark. <laughs> I think he's only 55. Oh, sorry. <laughs> That's even worse. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it's it's like he's a proper kind of low air isn't he? And... Do you think the kids... Um, do you think kids would have struggled with this one because it is a little slower? I don't know. I think I, I sometimes I underestimate what children are willing to watch and not yeah i i think so because you know there's there's, there's plenty of people who got into doctor who in season 18 and, and there's some some that's a kind of a slower pace of story yes. at times isn't it things like the, the keeper of track and um but i think just you know people just tune in who aren't doctor who fans don't they just to see what the new doctor's like yeah. I think, you know kind of people i work with and stuff <coughs> They'll just um, like they'll this just... had a spike, didn't it? Like uh, this had an impressive figure, and whether those figures bleed, bled away throughout the era, who cares? People were curious to see what Capaldi was going to be like. Definitely, I think this idea here about the they're blaming the the Mr. the disappearances on spontaneous combustion. Like, that feels like an idea that Doctor Who would have done years ago. It feels like something the Third Doctor would investigate, doesn't it? Um, that, you know, the Brigadier would have come into his lab one day and said, we've had a spate of uh, cases of spontaneous combustion, and the Third Doctor would have gone, nonsense, there's no such thing, and then they'd have gone and investigated, and, you know, there'd have been some alien cause behind it. It feels like a really odd thing that it, it hasn't looked at until now. You can even hear the line, can't you? You know, it's, yeah. it's exactly up your street, Doctor. The fellas, yeah. <laughs> the fellas blown up in Victorian London, you know. Like, so I, I did a little bit of research. Do you know when the last case of spontaneous human combustion was recorded as a cause of death? I do not know, but I am deeply curious. Two thousand and ten. Oh, shut up! No, in Ireland, in Galway, in Ireland, 
2010, somebody was recorded as having combusted. Yeah. Uh, hang on. But like, what? They just blew up. This is what the coroner recorded. Yeah, that it was. Uh, spontaneous. Where combustion. did you say it was again? Because... Ireland. Yeah. Well, that coroner may have had a few. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember... not something to hear much about anymore, is it? I feel no. like... Although... No. It was, something... was it common then, back then? In 2010? No, no, back in the Victorian <laughs> times, with people just blowing up. Well, Dickens Dickens had one of his characters die that way, didn't he? Um, I can't remember which book it is now. I think he mentions it in The Christmas Carol, but there's one of his characters in a book that he just wants to get rid of, uh, and he just has them... Spontaneously human combust. So this may be more of a Victorian thing, but we see it is still around. I'm hoping I'm going to be around for another 40 years. So if someone could just combust in my presence in the next 40 years, I'd, I'd yeah. go with my life as <laughs> well lived. Um, that bit with the paper there, where it said "Impossible Girl, join me for lunch." That's Missy that put that in there, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. For both of them, she does. She does yeah. one for the doctor and one, for, and she's also the one that made the phone call from the wi-fi repair shop or something like that in the bells of saint john yeah. yeah i think i think um clara had actually been in the shop and when she bought a computer or whatever and said oh this is this is the number if you ever need any it support and it's the number for the tireless yeah so she's this is playing the long game i've brought this up for a reason because what Moffat's doing here, oh my God, I'm about to say something nice about Stephen Moffat, everybody, Mark this day, um, is he's he's adding arc elements that are completely unintrusive and that are picked up on later on. And I really, I love that. I don't like it. When the arc becomes the focus, I get a bit, it's a bit weary. But yeah, that's really, and you get the scene at the end of this, don't you, with the clockwork man in heaven? Yes. Yeah. And so it's just it's just like tiny moments in an otherwise standalone episode. Oh my word! Here we go. This is the long character scene. Yeah, this is this is really lovely, isn't it? I remember watching this and thinking, these guys have got it. The the, the Doctor Companion, they've got it. Yeah, <laughs> he's just there. When the camera turns and he's just there as well. <laughs> it's really good. And then as the scene goes on as well, what it, it, what's lovely is that because they're all droids around them, aren't they? Mm. Which that's a good moment know, as well. Yeah, but if, if you were just watching it as a viewer and you started paying attention to what they're doing, you think they're just doing what extras do, which is yeah. just pretend that they're eating and go through the motions. <laughs> so it's that thing of playing with the language of television, which I really like when Stephen Moffat does that in the Silence in the Library as well, when Donna oh. is inside the computer, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and her, the scenes of her life are just flicking. She's in, she's at the park, and then she's putting her kids to bed, and then you realise that is how she's experiencing her life. It's how we watch TV, and we don't question it. It's but a that is comment on to... the passing of time in a in a narrative, isn't it? But they actually yeah. cut, they they actually say, oh, that was just five seconds ago. Like, <laughs> it's so clever, and I think the same here. You know, because you watch the the hands in the foreground here, which you wouldn't do on a first viewing. They're just doing the same action over and over again. And even if you notice that on first viewing, you just think, oh, you know, wow. it's like that extra in um, that you keep seeing the GIF of from Quantum of Solace, isn't it, where Bond's on the motorbike and the guy's in the background 
and he's sweeping the um, the pavement. Um, but like the brush is like a good like eight inches off the <laughs> ground, so it's not to make any noise or whatever. And he's just moving the brush backwards and forwards. Um, it, it's, it's like that, but it's also it's it's the story. It's key to the story. It's brilliant. I'm going to confess that I had never noticed that before. So thank you for pointing that out. I okay. ne- <laughs> I, I never noticed the extras in in the foreground like. Um, it's just you just see little bits little bits of it and it's yeah it's to show what's going on around them but but isn't that isn't that a a massive compliment to the performances and the writing here because you're not focusing on the very obvious thing that's framing this scene yeah what i really like here as well is clara is given a huge amount of characteristics in this scene like they talk about her being a control freak and yeah it's it's stuff that really hasn't come up before you know and then and then when she's a prisoner the next one is she she's not in control and then see the effect that that has on her character it's very good but they just um there are doctor companion dynamics that just sparkle um, because of the two actors together. Nothing to do with the writing at all. And these two have just got it. Whatever it is, and let's bottle yeah. it and use it in the future, they have it. And they Definitely. clearly, like, they love working together. Because I know she was supposed to duck out in originally in Last Christmas. And said yeah. Stephen Moffat, no, I'm not ready to go yet. And then she could technically could have ducked out if in narrative terms in Face the Raven. And then, mm. and then it happens in uh, in Hellbed eventually. Like she clearly loved working with him. Yeah. Oh my god. No, look, absolutely. Look at how um, creepy that is. It's great, isn't it? And the way they try to sneak out, it's a very kind of British thing, isn't it? Of not like you wouldn't, you know, if you go to a restaurant and change your mind or something like that, you just sort of try and sneak out and don't, don't like want them to draw attention to yourself or anything. Um, so I don't know if, uh, well, I was about I'm to say, really... if you, you know, you did listen because it's on your podcast, but uh, Mark Rawlings did that in one of the convention meetings in uh, Utopia. He was trying to duck out of someone talking and, and went out like bloody Balao, tiptoeing. <laughs> um, it's the most British thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> But you need, I think you need the, the clockwork people here because had this just been an extended dialogue scene, sort of two or three minutes in, you'd start, you need an extra element and suddenly there's suspense and there's drama mm. and there's danger. Yeah. It's very... He says you don't want, you don't want to eat the, you know, lost my appetite. <laughs> it's very funny when the, the arms just grab them and they just fall mm. down the floor. It reminds me of a foot in the grave episode where Victor Meldrew's on the toilet and uh, the entire toilet cubicle <laughs> slides down uh, and it turns out it, it goes to like a sex dungeon underneath the restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is really creepy. Do you know nice. what? You, you said something earlier, which... Oh, you said this was very something in this you said it was very like classic who this story is very like classic who i think in terms of mm. pacing um imagery and they don't really do anything apart from the dinosaur they're not doing anything too ambitious or anything they couldn't have done in the classic series no. 
it's probably only the, the clockwork man's face isn't it which is probably cgi i imagine probably got kind of a blue or green but imagine, cover up the side of it. imagine if they got a stab at that in the old series that would be, it would be hilariously bad but it would be amazing yeah it's just more like the pirate captain wouldn't it <laughs> Um, but it's like a nice subtle effect because I don't think you immediately think of it as a special effect. Um, but it's you know it's, every time he's on screen, it is there. Oh my god, the line he just had there. Do you have a children's menu? That's my nan's line in every restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's just reading out all the body parts, and there's uh, a lot of demand for those things. <laughs> See, he's, he's leaning into the two doctor to use uh, humans here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you'll find most of our clients are. So oh wow, that's creepy. That's uh, it's quite like um, two of the autons, isn't it? Ripping the face off the policeman. Um... Oh my god! <laughs> the face on Clara. See, that's a really simple effect with the flame inside the head, but that's really yeah. Nice. And it's quite um, steampunk as well, isn't it? It's the, um, and this is really steampunk as they go down here. So it's like Victorian technology to go down. Yeah, there's a really Tom Baker looks that Peter Capaldi gives there as the as the chair goes down when he, he <clears throat> sort of looks up like that. I'm doing, I'm obviously doing it on the camera, yeah. but just something about it really, really reminds me of, of Tom Baker. That bit there, actually, yeah. I'll put movement subtitles in the podcast. Mark yeah. looks up. Yeah. <laughs> but something, I think something really important happens uh, when they go underground. Because um, one of my criticisms about 7B was I felt that Clara didn't react to danger in a particularly realistic way. Like a lot of the time, she kind of just walks through uh, uh, not sweating. And there's moments in a minute that are super tense where she's left on her own and she's terrified. And for me, I could, I just empathize with her as a character. And, mm. you know, I, I it's the Elizabeth statement factor where she says, you know what, if I'm scared, I'll scream because, and, and that extends to the audience. If the companion is scared, then we're scared for them. And she plays it brilliantly. Yeah. I think, I think there's a scene in Cold War where she's, She's quite frightened, isn't there? Is it when does she, oh, she goes she, in to speak to the yeah. Ice Warrior, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah. that's um, that's quite a good scene for a word. I'll give you that one. Yeah. But I was talking about like like in Nightmare of Silver, um, like there's a Cyberman army, and she's just like, right, okay, well I'm going to pull this army together, and I'm like, who are you? Just a normal person from Earth. You would not be reacting this way, you know? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Um... Sarah Jane's like that in the Time War, isn't she? When um, when they're defending the castle, Sarah Jane's fabulous. Oh, sorry, you're going to say <laughs> Clara is too. She is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember when uh, in Series Seven B, when uh, after Clara's first few stories, Paul Cornell tweeted. He said, "Like, hello, the new Sarah Jane." Um, and I kind of felt the same way. I I, I love Clara as a companion. I think she's I think she's fantastic. I don't agree with that point, but I. It's, I know a lot of people don't. A perfectly valid point. Like, um, but I think people expect female characters as well to show more fear. I don't think anybody complains that Stephen Taylor doesn't show enough fear or anything like that. 
I no, but I liked you know, it when I don't know, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say his name anymore. But I loved it when Mickey was scared all the time. You know, like I have no, I felt that was great too. And yeah. Rory, Rory was a big wimp a lot of the time. You know, <laughs> but that was the point. The point with Mickey was that he didn't have like the right stuff to be a companion, did he? That's true. That is true. Um, I think more my issue with Clara is I feel like from episode to episode depending on who's writing her, I feel like she feels like a different character half the time. Um, anyway, that's that's a podcast about Clara. But what I mean, what I am saying is, is I feel like some things are definitely being redressed here, like, <clears throat> and successfully as well. And this is yeah. like in a minute where he he does the unthinkable he ducks out and leaves his companion in danger and i remember watching this going oh my god this is the first time i have no clue what is going to happen next in a long time like yeah. and she and the, the the worst part is she genuinely thinks he's leaving her yeah and i think there's moments like that and then there's the ambiguity at the end about whether he push the clockwork man out you oh, know so it leads to that, that you know well. sort of am i a good man still you know like in, the, in this incarnation you know do i have the right moral compass and stuff i think it's um yeah and it's really really interesting to do that is that it's the first hint that that is the way this incarnation is going and then stuff happens throughout the series as to you know it's Will he take Missy up basically on the offer at the end of the at the end of the series? You know, it's it's not a clear, clear cut decision. I mean, I think we know he wasn't canoe, but <laughs> yeah. But of all the doctors, this he is the one that that could have, I suppose. We'd be very disappointed if he was like, "Well, all right, I'm going to have a cyber army now in the series," and like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, the tension between um, the twelfth Doctor and Clara. Uh, something extraordinary happens in Dark Water, and I think it's one of the best characterized moments in, and or payoffs, sorry, character payoffs, and that is we have this very contentious dynamic throughout the season, and at the point where she's betrayed him, she's thrown those keys into the thing and all of this, and then he turns around, and you'd expect him to say, well, fuck off, you know. What he says is, do you think the fact that you betrayed me means I care any less for you and I'm not going to help you? And it's an extraordinary moment. I love that scene. Yeah. But it wouldn't work without all of this. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I love the way he plays that. Because when, when he says go to hell, yeah. he delivers it just perfectly that it, it, could, it could have either meaning as well. Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't emphasize it too much either way. So what's going on here? She's having to pretend to be clockwork, or she she can't she's, breathe. Uh, she's got to hold her breath so that they so that they can't detect her. And it's just a, it's good kind of kids thing as well. It's, it's like the angels, isn't it? About you know that being based on a game sort of thing you do when you're a kid is how long you can hold your breath for and all that kind of stuff. Though. Well, I mean, this is definitely Moffat's bag because we've had don't blink, we've had don't turn the lights out because of the shadows. We, now we've got don't breathe pretty soon we're going to have um well it's not don't remember try to remember whenever you see the silence like 
he plays that game quite a few times, but it's usually always fun. Yeah, and I think scary. you've got to think, you know, you're aiming at uh, a kid's audience. That that sort of stuff appeals to kids, doesn't it? Yeah. Because that's the stuff you can recreate in the playground and uh, and play it. I think if it was me, I'd be playing like clockwork soldiers, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I always wanted to play the monsters. That's, that says something about me. I never really wanted to play Doctor and Companion. I always wanted to play the, the villains. Yeah. That's terrifying. I didn't really play Doctor when I was at school. But, uh, no worries. It was more like... When we meet in the convention, we'll play Doctor Who, all right? We'll play, yeah. <laughs> we can make, make up for it now. Look at her. She's crying. She's yeah. terrified. Yeah. And you can, and, and the claustrophobia of being down there, not on an escape, not being able to breathe. And um, the direction, the POV shots means that I remember when I was first watching, and I was like, oh, "Am I breathing?" Like, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> it's really effective. Yeah, there's just she gets out of that door, she's she's escaped, and there's just there's there's no way to go. There's just more of these things. It's one of those things, isn't it? You're told don't breathe, and what's the first thing you want to do? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. There's, there's a flashback here, isn't there? Yeah. So is the inference here that she feels like she's too young to be a teacher taken seriously? Yeah, I think it's about it's about the the bossy control freak sort of thing, isn't it? I suppose it's about she's thinking back to another time when she wasn't in control. And that's reminding her of how she's now. Like she's completely not in control. She's a she's a prisoner. She can't escape. And the doctors abandoned her apparently. Oh my word! Yeah, and it's a it's a it's a good long scene as well without him being there, isn't it? You, Another uh, interesting difference here is, and I, I don't, I'm not saying this man's giving a bad performance because he's not, but it's not like a hugely charismatic performance like you normally get from a villain. Like, a, you know, we watched Happiness Patrol last time, which had Sheila Hancock yeah. as Helen A, you know, desperately watchable. This guy is understated to a degree, you know. Mm. Oh, no, Marcus Courtney Woods. <laughs> the brood of the damned I call them the Moffat children <laughs> yeah it, it, she doesn't play as big a part as I thought she was going to play because it, it seemed like they were recreating the original TARDIS crew didn't it with two Cole Hill teachers yeah. and a kid and then obviously um, Danny Pink doesn't actually become a companion properly and Courtney doesn't, she's only in a couple of them. But yeah, it seemed like it's a bit of a faint, that isn't it? You think, oh, this is going to be. Might have been interesting to have recreated yeah. that. Um, I thought, yeah, they, they're going to recreate the original sort of TARDIS lineup, but just slightly different um, emphasis. I think with Courtney, she was only supposed to be in The Caretaker, and Peter Harness, when he was writing Kill the Moon, said, no, I want to use this character. So that was why she, she bled into a second episode. Yeah, it makes sense when there's already one there, doesn't it? That, um, that you really want to use the same one. Did you see that eye inside his head? Like, oh, it was really great. Yeah. This comes up throughout Series 8 as well, when she's saying there about if you 
make a threat, you have to follow through. Like you can't step back from it. It's like it's what she's learned as a teacher. She talks about it here, and I think it comes up throughout the series. So when she tells the doctor at the end of Kill the Moon, you're like, I'm not traveling anymore, but she does step back from it. So it keeps coming back throughout the series. And then in Dark Water, um, as you say, you know, she's she's threatening to throw the keys into the volcano. And, you know, she's got this sort of belief system or this way of dealing with, with stuff. I mean, she has to go through it. Um, even though to her she thinks it's then going to trap them both, I suppose, on the uh, on the volcano planet. So I think it's interesting that that's set up here, and it keeps coming back throughout the series as well. I've I've said um, that I have issues with Clara as a character. Jenna Coleman as an actress, no issues at all. She's like to have Peter Capaldi and Jenna Coleman as your series regulars. How lucky were we? <laughs> like, yeah, and Michelle Gomez. How is well. that the level of acting talent this show is attracting? You know, <clears throat> I was about to make a really like a horrifying comparison with like some classic series Doctor and Companion actors, but I won't. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but we're getting the best now. That's that's my point. Yeah, and I mean, Pickford was already a huge name, but you know now he's in the Suicide Squad that's out at the moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, as we record, you know that's a that's a huge deal. I mean, it's not Marvel; it's only DC, but it's you know it's still a big, it's still a big movie, it's a big tentpole kind of movie. Did you see the the Dickens movie with uh, Dev Patel? Oh, oh. oh my god, he was so good in that. He was so charming. But and you know, like he plays a kind of absent-minded, funny character. It's interesting because I was watching that, going, "Wow, they could have that could have been like the Doctor's characterization if they wanted yeah. to," you know. And he absolutely and, had the capacity to do it as well. I, I love that David Copfield adaptation. Yeah, blissful. But really, like really. you know, let's not pretend that Jenna Coleman hasn't gone to do like stunning work as well. Yeah, she lead in her own series of Victoria that ran for a four or five series, didn't it? Oh, this is the moment, and that that face is a bit like Matt Smith's, isn't it? That um, that he pulls off there. This is my favourite Doctor theme as well. That da 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 I love it. And this is him. He's now the Doctor, isn't he? After he's been kind of all over the place for the episode. It's doing the it's doing the Christmas invasion thing of in Christmas invasion he's taken out of the action altogether and comes in at the end for his hero moment. In this, he's just characterised very undoctorly. Yeah, and then the well, here I think he's he's like he's like David Tennant or Matt Smith here. He's, he's dashing about the screen, he's waving his hands about a lot. He's doing loads of stuff, uh, and what I really like is then the next scene that he has with the Clockwork Man, where they're in the balloon. He's very still, complete, and yeah. it's it complete. It's like he's putting on a show of being the Doctor here for Clara, but then when she's not around and there's nobody else around, and he's sitting there with a glass of whiskey, and he says. I'm just having a drink because I think I'm going to have to kill you. It's like, it's quite James Bond, but it's also quite like, you know, th this is what it's about. I'm not being the doctor now. I'm just, you know, kind of being very pragmatic and, and doing what I need to do. But he's, um, because it's Peter Capaldi, yeah, and he's so convincing as an actor, I still don't know whether he 
killed that man or not like and i love that ambiguity i love yeah. the fact and i like the fact that he might have yeah and it's um obviously we're, we're going to see it when, when we come to it as well but it's the way he then looks directly at the camera in a really sort of challenging way as if to say like what yeah it's it's and do you yeah. know what sorry I, we should have mentioned this earlier really um this is definitely it's doing the robot thing isn't it of robot has unit in it to mm -hmm. introduce the new doctor this has the paternoster gang which is absolutely a matt smith era thing and then we never hear from them again no and i think i think they work better with matt smith because vastra to matt smith is a sort of a bit of a mentor isn't she when he's having a bit of a crisis in the snowmen and things she's there as a bit of kind of wise counsel whereas it doesn't really work as well with Capaldi, I think, because but do you think this is a, older. like a smoothing technique, you know, like yeah, definitely, yeah. It's, it's like the unit thing, like you say, isn't it? It's um, it's it's putting some familiar faces in to to smooth the transition. Also, um, another thing I was going to mention earlier and never did was there is zero sexual tension between Coleman and Capaldi. And that mm. is so refreshing. Like, definitely, refreshing. yeah. After Matt Smith snogging his way through everybody and yeah. <laughs> flirting, it's like, and like, there was a scene in the Crimson Horror I watched the other day where he's watching um, Jenny fight and he's basically got a boner. And I'm just like, mm. this is not nice. It's it's uncomfortable because he, he sort of forces a kiss on her as well, doesn't he, when he comes oh, back out God. of it? Yeah. When he's Let, been. Un let's not go there, Mark. I've got too many things yeah. to say about that. Um, but like it's it is a friendship isn't it like a, a deep mm. friendship like to the point where when she leaves he's willing to let you you know the universe unravel to save her yeah and and that's actually mrs plan all along as well that she put them together you know knowing that you know they would basically go too far for each other and and, and cause all this chaos which uh like for you know so missy doesn't have to i suppose God, I love this music so much. So, okay, I'm going to let you into a little secret. I um, I used to I used to go to the gym anymore, but I would listen to that piece of music on the cross trainer, and as it got faster, I used to literally sweat yeah. the beast. <laughs> That's a great idea. So, yeah, this is uh, here. This, yeah, this is such a contrast in the previous scene when he's doing like a David Tennant, Matt Smith, arms flappy doctor thing. Just sitting very still with his glass of whiskey. And I think it's, it's such a clever way of doing it. Doing that unusual thing in the new series of um, the thing that is enrapturing us isn't like a pretty looking set piece, it's a performance. Mm. Like he's electric here. Yeah. Promised land is his first mention. We we get the promised land, isn't it? And this was something where you know when he when they talk about the the SS Madame Pompadour, and I always thought this is something that he just doesn't remember because he's been on trends for two thousand years. He can't remember things as well. <clears throat> but when we uh, did the podcast on the Series Eight Steelbook, Jason McLaughlin pointed out. 
course, the doctor never found out the name of the ship, did he? In the no, girl in the fireplace, just us. So that's why he doesn't know it. He just um, he takes off, and then we see it as the final yeah, shot of the episode. Yeah, yeah. And the TARDIS was in front of the painting. Yeah, so he never saw the painting either. <laughs> that's it. so. Yeah, it's it's it, it ties in really really well to that. <laughs> Don't worry, my boy. <laughs> and this is so macabre, isn't it? The the balloon is entirely made out of skin. Oh, it's grim. It's the, yeah. the, the toy's nice, though. In fact, you know, um, I would go as far to say that this tie to the girl in the fireplace is a lot more subtle and less intrusive than the phone call that's coming in a minute which i really don't like um because i feel like it steals capaldi's thunder a little bit to have matt smith turn up in the episode people, yeah. are, people are still missing matt smith at this point and it's like oh there he is you know like <laughs> see i don't think it's a nice idea i know people people say oh people don't like multi-doctor stories right? i love them i <laughs> i don't way more are you, are, you, are you a big Finnish fan? Because they do them every week over there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I like them. I like here, so the balloon goes past St. Paul's Cathedral, which is obviously a nice little um, bit of foreshadowing for the end of the series as well, isn't it? Little does the clockwork man know that he's just floated past the promised land. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I think, you know, like stories like The Two Doctors, I just just have the odd story where, where two doctors bump into each other, or you know, like cold fusion, things like that. Um, but I, I would rather have not had the reassurance. I know it's for the kids, mm. and I know it's like, well, this guy is not what we've had before, and here's the doctor from before, that lovely, cuddly one, saying, no, he's all right, give him a chance, you know. But I just I rather... I, I, I left this story, and I was asking, is he a nice person? Like, sure. is, is he a good man? I, I don't know, but I'm excited to find out, you know. Yeah, I think, I think it's just a cool idea, really, like him phone in the future and um, uh, to speak to her. And and then, yeah, sort of the way, you know, flipping the perspective and when she says, like, how do you know what he said? And he said, well, it was me, I said it. You know, it's um, it just really brings it sharply into focus that it's the same person. It's a very Moffat idea, isn't it? Yeah. Well, like, <laughs> now, I'm saying that with disdain and you're saying that with a big smile on your face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a compliment, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I meant it as one, but okay. <laughs> but I love that though. I'm gonna, I, I will say this a million times over. Yeah, like um, coming together with people with very different opinions and not fighting over them, but kind of learning through them. I think I've I've already like I'm I'm gonna to say to you at the end of this that I've come away with a deeper appreciation for this because of what you said about it and just watching it with you and enjoying the experience. Um and I feel like fandom should do that more often as well, rather than just yeah. fighting and trying to get the other person well, why do you think what I think? Because what I think is yeah. right, you know? There's there's a real problem with people thinking that their opinions are objective facts. Yeah. And um, but then there's the whole thing of people just kind of going on Twitter and saying, well, this is shit, instead of saying, this didn't work for me because I didn't like this. 
And then he says something that you really hold dear, and loads of people going on Twitter saying it's absolute shit, then that kind of gets you down as well, doesn't it? So it's Twitter isn't the ideal forum, basically, I suppose, for, um, for any kind of nuanced debate. But, but on a podcast, down, watching well, something together. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. On a podcast, I imagine just coming on and saying, well, this, you know, I said to you at the beginning, I'm a bit ambivalent about this one. I'm far less ambivalent about this one now we've watched it together. Um, but if I'd have come on and went, well, this is just shit. And, yeah. you know, where's the fun in that conversation? You know what? This bit here, so Fastra and Jenny, oh. she's, it's a scene that lasted for like three seconds, right? Where she's basically given a resuscitation and there was a huge outcry yeah. about this, this, this lesbian kiss being on. And um, I remember that no lesser tweeter than Bill Oddie described it as pornography. <laughs> Goodness sake. Bill Oddie? Bill Oddie described that as quite, he said, what else did you call it? You think, well, one, I'm a bit worried about the quality of pornography that Bill Oddie's um, been exposed to. And two, would he think it was pornography if it was a man and a woman kissing? Presumably he wouldn't. He's only describing it as pornography because it's two women. I mean, to be fair, there is an entire subset of Silurian porn out there if you want to go and find yeah. it. So, uh, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous, isn't it? Like, I mean, maybe maybe there's an element of both homophobia and racism there because they're different races and yeah. they're yeah, the same sex. Yeah, it just seemed like a very extreme reaction from everybody. <laughs> Let's take some comfort in the fact that in a story like Praxius in series 12, there was a, a, a male-male kiss um, where there was no comment on it at all. So things are changing, yeah. you know? Oh, no, yes. definitely. Oh, did I miss him falling out? Oops. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean... You would have to aim that man just so to get him on that cross, oh, wouldn't yeah. you? Like... I think the original script, um, I think it was it was going to pan down. I don't know if it was, you know, originally on Big Ben and there was going to be sort of black oil leaking out of him, and it was going to pan down, and the clock would be at twelve, and it cut to to, um, to the twelfth Doctor's face, which is quite a nice idea. But uh, I don't think they did it in the uh, in the original one <laughs> uh, in the broadcast version. Um, my friend Jack, who I do the Nile Mummy Praise with, he watched this in a cinema screening because they did a number of cinema screenings for this. I understand why they chose this episode for a cinema screening because it's the debut of a new Doctor. I think it's absolutely the wrong choice. This is such an intimate episode. This is made for TV. Absolutely. I'd have, I'd have put Into the Dalek on the cinema. Like, that's, yeah. that's spectacle, you know? Yeah, he, it's got a few set pieces, this, but there's nothing... He did massively... say that there was a very muted reaction to this, and I'm not surprised in a cinema screening, you know? Yeah, I think yeah, Day of the Doctor, that oh. is a... I still regret not going to a cinema to see that, to be honest. Well, he, he saw... Because Australia was doing these screenings of just random episodes, and they, they put Doctor Mysterio on, and mm. like he said, the reaction to that was rapturous because it is like fun, you know, and it's supposed to be like a superhero movie. And I love that one, yeah. Uh, and there's a nice little thing here if uh, when Peter Capaldi comes to big finish, uh, he's who knows how long he's gone. 
now. He's gone long enough to redecorate the interior of the TARDIS and put the bookshelves in. Yeah. Um, he's got his uh, his new costume. So we missed it. There's no, we don't get the scene where he's trying on different costumes or trying on any of his predecessor's costumes. He's just fully formed. Is the TARDIS the same as the previous season? Or has it changed? The interior or the... The interior, yeah. It's 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 got the additional bookcases, blackboards, the armchair, and I think the lighting's a little bit softer as well, a little bit um, a little bit more muted and softer and warm, I think. This more is, blue, wasn't This it? is my favourite console room of the entire yeah. series. I think it's beautiful. And I think there's so many different nooks and crannies and interesting places to go to. There's, yeah. I've only got one that I like more than this in the entire run, and that is t- the TV movie one, which I just think is yeah. spectacularly good. Yeah, I think because this one you've got the sense that there's doorways and corridors off as well, which which I don't think you get that with the Thirteenth Doctor one. And you know, I like the idea of there being laboratories and bedrooms and things. And um, it never gets mentioned in the Thirteenth Doctor. If, you know, if like Yaz has got a bedroom or anything, and, and you never see a sort of doorway or a, uh, anything that would lead off into another part. But that's something I really like about it. But uh, also, one, there are. An incredible number of phalluses attacking Jodie Whittaker in her TARDIS, which I find very yeah, disturbing. That's true. You know, that's true. I got the Eagle Monster this one actually because it was used to a tenner on Amazon. Um, like I've, I, don't, I haven't gone down the Eagle Monster sort of rabbit hole of of collecting all their little figures, but I've got about four of these consoles now. So every time they have a sale on them, uh, I pick one of them up. And uh, yeah, the um, the Twelfth Doctor one looked absolutely brilliant. Mark is holding Eagle. it up right now. Uh, I'm gonna have to do the subtitles again because obviously you can't yeah. see this. It is but it's a, yeah, it's a great little model. Um, say tenner on Amazon if if it goes on sale again. But Eagle Moss themselves, a hero collector, have regular sales, and uh, you can normally pick them up a bit cheaper. Well worth getting. Unusual here in the they're having the conversation. Do you want to stay? Like, is this something you want to do with me now? Yeah, like, and that conversation happens with, in the Christmas Invasion, but they're not like you know they they just yeah. want to go, you know. It's much more of a modern series thing, of uh, especially in the Moffat era, isn't it? A, a companions not living aboard the TARDIS, you know, in the way they did in the classic series, and and even you know got the impression that Rose and Martha and Donna did, you know, they've got their own lives. And, and they travel with the Doctor. Would it surprise you to know that I'm not keen on that? <laughs> really? No, I, I, I really, I want them to sign up and 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 just go on the adventure. I like, I, I do think it, there's interesting things can be done with it. Um, I think, I think if if you went back to the TARDIS, uh, the, the Doctor having no control over the TARDIS again. I think that makes total sense. But now that he's got absolutely perfect control of it, um, yeah, it doesn't necessarily make sense. You know, I don't like that either. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) You you don't like the not uh, the the fact that they can control the TARDIS now. You know, I I I I love it when we haven't really got a clue. Like, (laughs) yeah. Um, but like I, I understand for sakes of the stories that's heading now, they need pinpoint actress, especially in Moffat's time, where you're jumping about from time zone to time zone. You know, it's got to be. Yeah. Well, that's what I love about Silver Nemesis. I know a lot of people don't like Silver Nemesis, 
I love Silver Nemesis because it's one of the first, it's like the second story I ever saw and I was eight, so I was like absolutely primed to uh, to fall in love with it. And I love that about it, that the Doctor was just like, well, we'll, we'll go back wow. to the 17th century and check it out and then we'll go to um, to Windsor Castle and have a look there. And I thought, yeah, this is brilliant. Why doesn't he always do this? And and that is is much more like the modern series, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Well, gosh, that means the Cybermen were your first monster, really, weren't they? Uh, yeah, after um, oh, after the Candyman. After the Candyman, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we can't get enough of him. Well, I can't eat a licorice all sort anymore without thinking about the Candyman, you know. <laughs> oh, no, it's Matt Smith. I'm not going to say a word. I'm not going to say a word. Do you know where he ranks for me? No. He is my least favourite Doctor of them all. Really? I was just, I was never convinced by him. Never. I, I he's, uh, he's pretty high for me, I've got to say. Yeah, he's pretty, um, no, 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 my opinion there is absolutely uh, the, the controversial one. Yeah, I think, I think after Tennant, because Tennant, by the end, I was kind of ready for him to go. He was doing the same shtick all the time. Uh, and I think he, Matt Smith, even by his last series, he was doing new, interesting things, um, you know, doing unusual line readings and, and reacting to things differently. Um, yeah, I, I, I could have could have been happy with Matt Smith staying around a bit longer. Would it surprise you to learn that I disagree? But <laughs> 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 well, uh, Smith and Capaldi... Um, I, I, both of them I'd love to have done more I, um, um, and, and Whitaker like just feels like she's on your staff doesn't she feel like yeah and, and, I, think and, this is and I feel like in 12 she feels like she's just kind of hit her stride you know like yeah I think it feels like this is probably part of getting older as well in the time uh, it seems to be uh, going much faster but even though they all only do three series mm. Those three series, even though they're spaced out, seem to be going quicker and quicker. I don't think they've, like, I don't think they've made, even though I had a bad reaction to Matt Smith, I don't think they've made a poor choice with the new series. No. And I understand why they cast, who they cast. And I think they've all had a successful run um, to a certain um, section of fandom, you know? Mm-hmm. Even Jodie yeah. Whittaker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see that. Look, this has paid what? off well because they have the hug in Death in Heaven, don't they? Where, yeah, in that scene where they're both lying through their teeth to each other. What I like about the fact that they're in Glasgow here because we find out in the next episode that he just takes off in the TARDIS <laughs> and leaves it there. <laughs> Is the fact they're in Glasgow and there are still police boxes dotted around the city centre of Glasgow. So I quite like the idea of her wandering around these pockets, trying these uh, these real police boxes. That are, but <laughs> that what's that? Like... What's this a callback to? It's basically the Aberdeen joke, isn't it? Yeah. It, it wasn't yeah, London. Was Where was it? Aberdeen. <laughs> oh, see, and I love this arc. So yeah. These see, and it happens in Into the Dalek, doesn't it? Uh, one of the soldiers dies and ends up in heaven. Yeah. Oh, Michelle She's Gomez. She's brilliant. She's amazing, isn't she? 
And again, she's gone on to uh, you know to go to a lot of success in America. She's in um, Sabrina. Isn't she in Sabrina. New Sabrina's yeah, in the Witch? Yeah, my other half watches that and says that she's amazing. I haven't watched that, and I'm two episodes into this. Um, oh, I've forgotten the name of it. It's this uh, this mini series on on Sky Atlantic with with the girl from Big Bang Theory. What's it called? It's about this. Uh, she's an air stewardess, anyway, who sort of like gets uh, gets into a bit of trouble. And Michelle goes, "Well, I'm only two episodes in. Seems like she's going to be a baddie in it." So um, I would like yeah, to see could... Michelle Gomez play against type because she's always playing <laughs> a mad, eccentric, slightly dangerous character. And I know that's that's her will, and that's absolutely what she delivers brilliantly. And I love that even even while she's in America, she's still recording Missy stuff for Big Finish as well. Like she obviously yeah. loves the role. She's she's got a commitment to it. Also, as well, you know, you have the scene in the TARDIS there where he was like, you know, do you want to come with me? And she's like, oh, I'm not sure. I'm going to go and take this phone call that's ringing outside. Um, that's paid off in Last Christmas, where at the end of that they run off hand in hand into the TARDIS together and like we've gone on this journey and I always consider last Christmas like the last episode of this series because mm -hmm. it pays off all the Danny Pink stuff and all the stuff that's left hanging in Death in Heaven um and it's a lovely endorsement of the journey you've gone on that that that, that they've made it to that point where you know they're off to have fun together yeah there's uh, I, I love last Christmas it's it's one of my favorite Christmas specials I think last Christmas and Christmas Carol is probably my two favourites. And there's a bit of the cracker in that one as well, which is a, a callback to Time of the Doctor, isn't it? When yeah. uh, he helps her pull the cracker and it's like he reverted the inversion of what, what happened in that one when, when he can't pull the cracker. What, what were your two favourites, did you say? Uh, Christmas Carol and Last Christmas. Oh, my word. Would it surprise you to hear <laughs> that I both, <laughs> I both agree and disagree with you? <laughs> which one do you like? Last Christmas is my favourite Christmas special. I think uh, because it is um, a phenomenal episode of Doctor Who in its own right, as well as being mm -hmm. a great Christmas special and a brilliant captain of the season. Um, a Christmas Carol is my least favourite Christmas special. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to go into that now. We ain't, we ain't got another 10 years. Um, okay. Why don't you? No, no, I'm doing something new now. I'm not asking people why they yeah. need to go off to their DVD shelf and grab it and put this on right away. Why don't you tell me three things about this episode uh, that you would recommend? Ooh, okay. So, I mean, Peter Capaldi, absolutely <laughs> straight out of the gates, brilliant performance. As I say, because it's because it's a regeneration story, or it's a post-regeneration story, and he's got that. Uh, that kind of craziness. It, you see his full range, I think, in this story. Um, so it's, it's a brilliant showcase for him. Okay, it's a brilliant performance from Jenna Coleman as well, particularly yeah. when the, the scene with the two of them in the restaurant is amazing and the interrogation scene where she manages to take control of it and turn it back is, is, is absolutely brilliant and it just looks beautiful as well you know from the dinosaur in the opening shot the costumes it's shot obviously directed by ben wheatley it, it looks absolutely amazing and you know what you know what's great about this episode 
is that it is Millie McKenzie's first ever episode that she saw. So really? it was, um, Creates on Twitter. Yeah. So this, you know, brought her fandom into the world. And now she oh makes those word. absolutely amazing models Good that God. just kind they of... They are terrific, aren't they? They're a joy. Um, yeah, I saw this on Twitter the other day. She said it was a, a first ever story. I thought, well, that's, that is a massive recommendation for it because it brought somebody so amazing into the fandom that just, you know, kind of lights up Twitter every single day with these, with these incredible creations. And uh, what more can I say to recommend it? Well, I have something to say on the back of all of this. Um, thank you very much because that was a joy to watch. And I don't know if I've ever found that joy to watch before. Um, I ha I'm famously not a huge fan of the Moffat era, and it is always wonderful to talk to people who are, um, because frankly, this podcast needs those people. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mark, you are a complete gentleman. Your podcast track one is incredible. You have introduced some fantastic podcast talent out there uh people that i've worked with now as well i think they're absolutely incredible i want to just very quickly ask you to come back and maybe do some more stephen moffat era stuff because i, I oh would, definitely yeah. and that's not just me being selfish saying i want you to change my mind i think um i need to spread a bit more stephen moffat era love so um, you tell me, what do you want to do next? You've got literally 50 seconds to decide. Oh, man. Maybe we should do Christmas Carol if you haven't already done oh, that. Oh, God. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. All right. We'll do a Christmas Carol, and you'll tell me precisely why I'm wrong about that. <laughs> um, Bill. Thank you very much for your time. It's always a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. It's been great. And uh, I will see you next time on your podcast. Definitely looking forward to it.